Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Charlton fans, to the second episode of Brownie and Benji. First of all, I just want to thank everyone for tuning into the first episode. It was great to see all your comments and everyone who listened. We just really appreciate it. I'm delighted once again to be joined by Steve Brown. You may know him as former Charlton defender, more than 240 appearances for the club, two different promotions. You may also know him from some recent appearances on Valley Pass. His voice seems to be going all over the place these days. So I'm excited <laughs> once again to have Steve Brown. Uh, How are you doing, Brownie? Good, Benji. How are you? I'm doing excellent. It's been, uh, I'm a little shocked that it's only Wednesday. I feel like we've gone through a very long yeah. week already. Feeling pretty yeah, exhausted. Woke up to some surprise news, didn't we, this week? Um, Certainly. Well, they've given us a lot of talk. Well, at least they've given us a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes, I feel like that always tends to be the case with Charlton. There's always quite a bit to discuss, so we will get into that. Firstly, I just want to dedicate this episode to Mark Wyndham, lifelong Charlton fan. His whole family's Charlton fans. He's unfortunately going through a really difficult period battling cancer, and we just want to let you know, Mark and your entire family, that we're all with you and, you know, just keeping you in our thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I've done a, a video for, for Mark through his son he contacted quite a few ex-players actually and we all sent a video over and obviously you know I've had family battle cancer and it, it's 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 not nice uh, it's horrible not just for, obviously it's disgusting for the person going through but it does affect an awful amount of people um, like I said I, I, you know we're, we're aware what Mark's going through we wish him all the very best I think he's actually having his treatments now and, and they can knock the stuffing out yeah uh, but yeah, I was always our thoughts. I DM his son, you know, after every game almost. So I get the the DM through my Twitter feed, which I always reply to. And um, yeah, it's always a sad, isn't it? A sad story when mm. people, you know, and it seems to be an awful amount. I know we've got COVID, but it seems to be an awful amount of people suffering at the moment. And, and you know, myself and yourself will always give people a shout out because, you know, it is horrible to see and to hear. Obviously, it's been another interesting week in Charlton Athletic history. I don't know if that's the best word for it, another dramatic week. There was a game on Saturday. Feels like that's almost gone out the window a little bit because of the news on Monday morning that Lee Bowyer was resigning from his post as Charlton Athletic Manager and moving on to Birmingham City. So, Brownie, just initially, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, I was out and about actually, and and I got I got a text off of a, a colleague at BBC saying, "What do you think of the Lee Bowyer situation?" And like like me, most days I just went, "I've no idea what you're going on about." I phoned him, and he went through it, and I said, "Well, that that has come as a surprise." You know, I, I said, um, "Even though sometimes he comes out and interviews after the game, Lee, and you think well, he's a bit down, you know, I wonder what's going on." You didn't you didn't think he was going to leave, you know. I, we just started picking up in terms of points and performances. Uh, we weren't far off the playoffs. I think Thomas Sangard had come out and, and said, look, you know, he's the guy I want. And then what seemed like just a week later or so, he was he was off to Birmingham. So uh, it's hard to know, it, you know what to say because we don't know exactly what's going exactly. on beyond the scenes. But mm-hmm. yeah, but normally under circumstances like this, Something has triggered it off behind the scenes and, and we'll probably never, ever get to know about it. But it's a very unusual one in, in, in terms of where the club's sat at the moment. Mm. And I know there's been a few, you know, Benji, I know there's been a few, uh, you know, comments on, on, on uh, social media over the last couple of months about, you know, performances and, and, and has Lee taken this team as far as it can go? And some would have liked to have seen a change, some wouldn't. And, and you're going to get that. That's Nobody can stop that. We, you're going to get that whatever happens when there's a sticky period. But I didn't think we were anywhere near Lee actually leaving mm. or Thomas Sangard actually sacking him. I think there was a very poor performance against Blackpool, which raised a few eyebrows. Mm. Um, but I still, I still thought Lee was going to be here till the end of the season. And depending on what we did, I thought that was going to be the crunch time. Mm. But yeah, it was still a surprise to wake up Monday morning and, and hear that news that they had, they had gone. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think as you kind of said there, I, I, you know, obviously you see what everyone's talking about. You can see sort of the growing discontent when results aren't going uh, well. And it felt to me 
that if Sangard wasn't going to sack him after Blackpool, then he probably wasn't going to sack him at all, at least until sort of the summer, maybe next season. So I think in that sense, it came as a very surprising timing because it felt as if he had gone, had he gone then, that it wouldn't have been that surprising. But, you know, now a few weeks down the line, as you said, results are picking up. It seemed like sort of the questions of, is the team playing for him? It seemed like that had kind of gone and, it, and the team had really been giving a lot in the games previously, even if the performances weren't always brilliant, they were determined. And so I think it was, you know, the timing was, was a bit sort of surprising, as you said, and it was a bit shocking for everyone. But I mean, ultimately, it's, it's interesting because obviously he managed through very, very difficult circumstances yeah. for the first few years in particular, did a fantastic job to get the team up from League One to the championship was very unlucky not to keep the team in the championship. And ultimately, you know, sometimes in football, it is for the best for everyone to kind of move on and, and start a new period. And I think Bowyer himself probably felt that it was his time to move on and that he had sort of seen the club through that really challenging era into the new ownership. And I guess just wanted a new challenge. And I, and I think, you know, to have someone new come in, whether that be Johnny Jackson or whether that be a new manager, we'll discuss that in a little bit. I think <laughs> to give them the summer and a fresh slate and start new under Thomas Sangard, I think that's probably not the worst thing in the world for the club. Yeah, and, and, and another thing that goes on in football, Benji, to add to what you've just said is mm -hmm. managers sit in a job and, 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 and over the past sort of 20, 25 years, the, the tenure of managers, you know, has come down. Down and down and down and down. So although we'll name a new manager at some point, whether that be Johnny or somebody different, they'll set off on their on their new adventure, as it, as it were, and they might have 12, 18 months. And within that, they'll gauge whether that's going to be extended into, you know, if you're successful or, you're, or, or, or it looks really positive, you might get two and a half years. If mm -hmm. it's not, you're already looking at your exit strategy. And I just wonder if Lee was thinking, I've got a funny feeling I'm not going to get through the summer here. I just wonder if that's a part to play. He didn't get a good feeling about the contract getting extended or him being in next season. And he thought, you know what? I'm, I'm looking at an exit strategy. Birmingham's come up. I'm taking it because I don't know if I'm going to be in next season or not. I just wonder if that played a part. Again, I, I don't honestly know. We all make assumptions and it's all mm -hmm. hearsay. But yeah, sadly, the way football has become in terms of, you know, the time you spend in one job, you're, you're kind of looking for an exit strategy. You get a feeling about what's going on and you start thinking, right, I don't want to be out in the summer when there's another 20 managers out of work. So I'll tell you what, I'll try and sort something out now. I wonder if that just played a part. Mm. It's, it's an interesting one because actually I was going to bring up this question later. It was asked by someone on Twitter, a Charlton fan, Mark CAFC45. He asked why you are no longer in the game as a coach slash manager. And I know it's something that me and you have talked about privately before. And I just was wondering if you kind of wanted to share your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how long have you got? Because there's, huh. there's lots of different reasons. If I'm honest with you, Benji, there's loads of different reasons. Um, disillusioned with football and how it operates you know that plays a part uh, I, I don't network very well I don't walk into a room and see and have a look around and scan and see who can do me the biggest favour I walk into a room I just want to chat I don't think about how I'm going to get the next job um, the one thing I have relied on in the past is in what, what seems to be very good in terms of if I do manage to work for somebody and they see me work whatever work that is those guys, if they go off and get another job, generally will always re-employ me. I've, I've, always, I've worked for the same guy over and over. I've worked for others who have then re-employed me. So I, I hope that my work speaks for me, but unfortunately that's not how football works. <laughs> it, it works on who you know, and it really does. If there's ever a, you know, a, an industry that fits that, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, it is football. Mm. Um, and, and, and so I came a little bit disillusioned. There's also the the job security is zero. There's no longevity in football. Uh, and I, about five years ago, I, I, I lost a job that I shouldn't have lost. And I, I came home to my wife, Mandy, and I just said, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. I, I'm not sure I want to keep losing jobs that I don't deserve to lose because somebody above me has got the ump or, you know, or, 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 you know, in some circumstances, Benji, they've changed the manager above me and he's come in and changed below. And you've, you've got no control over that. And so you find yourself on your ear. And because I don't network very well, because I haven't got 
a pool of friends who I can call and say, oh, what are you doing? Where are you? Oh, right. You have got a job. I haven't got that. So um, I sort of made a decision about five years ago to go and join up three or four part-time jobs, which were almost impossible to lose. Media being one, coaching at a private school being another, um, which I thoroughly enjoy. You know, people have to understand, you know, I'll always back myself. If, if someone said, mm. do you think you can coach in the, in the leagues? Absolutely. 100% I believe I can coach in, in league football. No problem. And I hope people that listen in sort of get that feeling as well. But I'm not chasing anything, Benji. I'm not living my life where um, someone else can, you know, can come in and just, just sweep you off your feet and you lose your job and I'm back at home and I'm scrambling around to find mm. work and money. You know, I'm not fortunate enough to be able to just take six months out of football with no money coming in. I'm, I'm not in that position. So therefore, if you're not financially um, set in life, you can't keep having a job for six months, 12 months, and then losing it and not know where the next penny is coming from. So that plays an enormous part um, in terms of my decision-making process and why I don't chase jobs in football anymore. I've put myself in a position where if one comes up and somebody wants to employ me and I think, yeah, actually, I really would like to do that, I'm in a position where I can shut down all my other stuff and take it, but I'm also not reliant on it. And that's what I removed about five years ago, where I was reliant on a job in football to have an income to survive. And unfortunately, I had to remove that because I was finding myself out of work a bit too often. Um, and I didn't enjoy that. I didn't, mm. I, you know, I like stability. I like longevity. I like stability. Um, and, and what the three or four part-time jobs gave me was that. You know, mm. I had enough income, comfortably enough income to not have to worry about anything. And I enjoyed all jobs. I was scout. I was media, I was coaching, you know, so, and, and during that, I was an assistant manager and a coach at, at a non-league club, which, again, you know, has its positives and it has its negatives. Um, yeah, so, so that, that is essentially why there's, you know, there's other factors, you know, I've, you know, I, I could go into a lot of things on this podcast about things that have happened in the past that have led me to, to, to be this way, you know, interviews that have gone really well, job offers that have been handed to me, You've got the job only, you know, and then I start shutting down my part-time jobs. I won't be back in next week because I've managed to get myself a job. And then they call two days later and said, oh, no, we've changed the mind. Oh. You know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, people, people on the outside will never understand actually how disorganised professional football is mm. at times and how unfair it is at times. And, yeah. and sometimes you get people like myself that, uh, that love football, love being involved <laughs> in football, love coaching but just get to a point where you see so many good coaches and so many friends have to leave the country. Some of them, I've got a couple of great friends who are good coaches and they're, they're living 3000 miles away to get a job. Uh, and, and then you see other people that you don't think are as good. And for some reason they know the right people and they're working in football and that, that in a nutshell, you become a little bit disillusioned and mm. you think, right, it's not for me. And that's, that's essentially why. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the word that sort of stuck out to me there that is, that is hard not to associate with modern football is unfair, you know, is there's not a lot of patience, there's not a lot of kindness, there's not a lot of sort of faith, it almost seems like. And I know, obviously, you had an experience at Ebbsfleet where you were managing them, doing a good job managing them. They were about third or fourth place in the table. You had a positive win record. And then it was one of those situations that you talked about where all of a sudden the rug is kind of swept out from under you and you're let go for really no apparent reason. Yeah, I think, I think it, you know, the, the circumstances that I thought, I want to say that I thoroughly enjoyed the absolute job at mm. the start. The first year was brilliant. We had no squad. I, I pitched up with Peter Varney. There were no players signed on to Ebbsfleet when we walked oh. in the door in June. There was none. And um, we put, I'll give you an example. The first friendly that we managed to play was against Erith and Belvedere. I only had 11 players in the building. I had to borrow two players off of a friend to make, so that I had subs available on the day. So we went from no, no players, first friendly, 11 players. And then we got to the playoff final in the first year. And it was a really good year. We won the Kent Senior Cup. We got to the playoff final. But within that 12 months, Benji, I, I, I sat down with the owner who was a very young, um, billionaire I think he's 29 billionaire billionaire sort of uh, Middle Eastern background and he he said to me you've got the first year almost to just put a squad together so, so don't worry about the first year 
let's just take that as you're going to put a squad together. You're going to work out what works for you, what doesn't, and we'll strengthen that in the summer. You know, just, just don't have a poor season. Well, by Christmas, I got called back in by that same owner. And he said, I want to get up this year. I want to get promoted now. Because we were fifth. And we started particularly well. By Christmas, he called me in and said, I want to get up. And I went, oh, well, okay. Well, that, that changes things. Because all of a sudden, that puts you under pressure to get results. It puts you under pressure. You st- suddenly can't leave somebody out who's been scoring goals to try somebody. You can't try a lot. More, you know, you can't, you can't experiment in mm. that first year and see what's working and what's not. Um, and we got to the playoff final. We lost. And, and, uh, and I knew, I, I, I had a call in the summer and it said, look, you know, we want you to spend... They did up the budget, right? So he said, look, I'm going to up the budget. I'm going to give you more money. I want you to go and buy more players. And I want you to get us out of the league this year. And I wouldn't spend his budget, Benji, because I didn't believe... I, I had agents phoning me left, right and centre. I can offer you this guy. He wants 1,500 quid a week. I said, we're National South. I said, I'm, just, I'm not paying somebody 1,500 quid a week in the National South. So no thanks. Owner wanted me to spend money on players that I didn't want to bring in because their agents were asking for stupid money and I didn't want to have players in the National South earning ridiculous money. They don't deserve it playing in the National mm. South. They don't deserve 1,500 quid, but they know Ebsley have got money. They know the owner's got money. And I didn't want that to disrupt my squad. So I wouldn't sign players like that. And unfortunately, as you've seen after I left, the next man in just spent all the money <laughs> and brought loads of players in on thousands of pounds worth a week. And they've spent millions of pounds since I left, Benji, millions. And they're in, the, they're in a worse spot now than they were when I left. They're lower. They've spent about, I think, on the stadium and players' wages, they've spent about 12 to 15 million. And my budget for the year was 380,000. Wow. So that's for staff and everything. Um, so I, I, I sit here five years later going, you know, I did tell you what path to go down. I did advise mm-hmm. you. I didn't want to spend your money. I was really honest. I said, I don't want to spend all your money. I've not come in here to just waste money. I set up the squad in a responsible manner. Um, I, I capped it. So, so there was no player to earn over a certain amount a week. And the players were aware of that. So if you managed to get to that, that plateau that I'd cut off, Great, you were one of our top earners, but I wasn't ever. I wasn't going to go a penny over it, um, and that's what created the, the team spirit. That they all knew that somebody wasn't earning double and not putting in a shift, um, and that's what I sold the owner. He decided to change direction halfway through, and 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 the rest is you know they did get up eventually, but they spent millions, Benji, getting up for a, for a national south side, which is ridiculous, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that again, thoroughly enjoyed the first year. Um, kind of, kind of lost. We were in third when I got sacked. You know, we were in third. I got the call, and he said, "I'm going to go in a different direction." They bought in another fella. They went from third to ninth. Didn't even make the playoffs that summer. And he and he quadrupled the wage bill. Um, and you just you kind of leave, and you're gutted, and you don't understand it. And and I'm not one of these ones that, if I'm honest with you, Benji, I don't sit here and go, "I'm glad what's happened." I'm glad they didn't get playoffs. No, I'm not. That no. I wish the players that I left behind well. I, I wished success on them. Um, but I'm just gutted that someone sat there and gone, yeah, no, not for me. When I thought I was doing a good job. Mm. Um, so, so and, then, and, then, and then it goes from that to, I, I wasn't, I've said this already, I know, but I wasn't in a position to just sit there and not work. So I thought I was going to get something a little bit better than what came around, actually. I was a little bit like, well, I should get a good job off the back of that because I've done all right there. People will see what I've done and I'll get a better job offer. And absolutely nothing came about. And it was a friend who said, look, you know, there's a team in trouble. They want you to go down and just do the last 15 games to try and keep them in the league. And, and I did. And I went down to a team called Lewis and, and I kept them up. Um, again, did a really good job. They, they were, oh, I don't like saying this, but they were terrible. <laughs> it was a terrible side. I took over a terrible team. I think they conceded 70 seven goals in 30, 35 games. And I went in and we conceded 12 in the last 11 games and won five of them and stayed up. But I made a mistake staying there. No one's fault, but I made a mistake staying there. I, again, naively thought something better was going to come up in the summer. It didn't. They reduced the budget by 33% that summer. And I went back and I shouldn't have done. I should have said, no, thanks. Thanks very much. I've kept you up. Good luck this season. And I didn't because I didn't have any money coming in. And... <laughs> So, so on and so forth, and uh, yeah, and I just didn't have the, um, I just didn't have the knowledge mm. of that level with that budget to be able to find players for eighty pound a week, hundred pound yeah. a week, 
And what I ended up with was everybody's off cast. So I had, by, by, by the time pre-season ended, I was just picking up players that couldn't find another club elsewhere who, who you know, everybody's off cast. And, and I just couldn't make it work. And I mm-hmm. resigned in the end after 10 games because it was clear somebody else needed to come in at that level to find those players for £80, £100 a week, which I couldn't do. I can coach a team, no problem. I can make them hard to beat, but I can't, I can't recruit at that level for £80, £100 a week. So, you know, and that's what happens. And then, and then you don't recover, Benji. As a coach, as a manager, you don't recover at that point. You, you're just, you know, hoping somebody comes along and offers you a job. And, and I decided at that point, actually, maybe, maybe it's not for me because I, I, I felt like probably warranted a little bit better than what I was mm. getting. And so that's when I went on to the, I'm going to get three or four part-time jobs. And, uh, oh, no, hold on. There was a job after that. No, I went down to Margate. A friend of mine did call and offered me a job at Margate as assistant manager. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. The owner came in as a Russian guy. Really nice owner. Really good. But actually, this was, quite, this was slightly different. He came in and, and just got surprised by how much it cost running a football okay. club. You know, and he's really wealthy. Really wealthy guy, but even he sat back after about six months and went, I, I didn't envisage spending this kind of money. So what he did was he, he then, because he's got very good plans. If you actually look up Margate, uh. I think they've just been approved. It's taken about three years, but I think they've just been approved. A hotel, new stadium. Uh, he put in a 4G, 3G pitch and it's lovely. And he's a lovely, lovely man, but he's not fussed whether the, what league they play in. He's happy for them to stay where they are within a certain budget and he doesn't want to add to it and he said if you get promoted if you were lucky enough to put aside to give it a got promoted I'm not up in the budget when you go up so you'll be fighting against relegation probably yeah. if you went up and that's kind of not why I want to be in football yeah look yeah look I, again being an honest guy I phoned him up and said look I really like you but um, I, I'd rather be honest with you and say that, that I, I, I'm not the man for you to just keep you in I think it was the Ryman Premier. You know, you need somebody who's happy to just finish mid-table every year. I said, yeah. I'm not happy to do that. And, and, I, and I had a contract which, you know, we sorted out a, a minimal sort of settlement. I said, use, use the rest of that settlement to bring in a manager. I don't want you to lose money. You know, it's not fair. I'm the one that wants to bail out. And, and I left. I, I took a little bit just to see me through a couple of months. And I get, and left him the rest to, 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 to go and sign another manager. And he, and he signed the uh, the mate to manage Jay Saunders. So, you know, that, that's kind of how it goes. Mm. Um, and people, the, the trouble is with football, Benji, people think if you work in non-league and you're not successful in non-league, therefore you, you are rubbish. That's, that's the, that is the nuts and bolts of how football works. And, and, and unfortunately you can, you can be like, I'll bring up Danny Cowley because he's been linked mm-hmm. with a charting job. You can be Danny Cowley who's done a wonderful job at Braintree with no money, got him in the, the national conference playoffs. He then went to Lincoln, did superbly well to get him out of the national conference, even better to get him out of League Two. He goes to Huddersfield. So off the back of all that success, goes to Huddersfield, doesn't do so well, gets sacked and people go, oh, well, he didn't do very well at Huddersfield. Oh, hold on a minute. He's, he's got promotion out of the national conference yeah. and League Two. And, and he put together a side at Lincoln that's, that's flying in League One. You and know, he got, put like, that side together. Finals of the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He had that amazing run with Lincoln. Um, no, and, and, and that, unfortunately, is the downside to football. You can have three successes, one failure, and, you know, he'll be deemed not good enough to, to take a championship side now, mm-hmm. which is grossly unfair. But, yeah, I, I, again, people from the outside looking in always think if you don't, if you're a coach that hasn't had success, you must be rubbish. And that's simply not the case. I know mm-hmm. so many good coaches that just haven't been fortunate enough to get the right club at the right time in the right setup to be successful. But they're brilliant coaches. Yeah. It's just how it is. It's, it's, yeah, it's how it is in football. Uh, it's such a, such a ruthless, ruthless world. And, and you're absolutely right what you're saying. And it's, it's interesting because obviously I've seen sort of, I don't think they're real links, but I've seen sort of people talking on social media about wanting Chris Wilder, Eddie Howe, people like that to come into the yeah. Charleston job. But due to the nature of football, you also have to look at it from their perspective in that Chris Wilder has been managing in the Premier League, done an excellent job last season with Sheffield United in the Premier League. If he comes down to League One and it doesn't work out for whatever reason, now all of a sudden people are going to say he isn't even a League One level manager. And you can go, your stock can be at the top and then it can drop to the bottom just due to one sort of poor 
poor job or, or that, that may not even be your fault. And, you know, you brought up the Danny Cowley as an example. He probably is a championship caliber manager or better, but the one job he was given, he wasn't given enough time, resources, etc., to do the job that he wanted to do. And now all of a sudden people say that he isn't a championship caliber manager mm. and that very well may not be true. Yeah. And, and he had Huddersfield when they were spiraling down, they just exactly. come out of the Premier League. And, and as we all know, you can, you can fall through the trapdoor twice because you get left with all the, the, the rubbish mm. in your squad and all the better players go get bought back up into the Premier League. We've seen it with Charlton, seen it with Leeds, seen it with Man City, seen it with Sheffield United, actually. Mm-hmm. They all bottomed out in League One and it's, it takes two or three years because you've got players on huge money from the Premier League days that just won't leave. Nobody wants yeah. them. They're players that nobody wants. They're on a fortune and you just can't shift them. And, and what happens is the morale within the building becomes worse and worse as the, as the losses stack up in the championship. You, you fall through the trap door to League One. And in League One, you can, you, by that time, you've almost filtered out all the big earners and you start mm. again. And you yeah. build that squad from afresh, which is what Chris Wilder was. Now, I, I, funny enough, I was, I was with Chris Wilder when, or you can look it up on, on Google, but when, whenever Sheffield United played Brighton this year, I went and met him at a hotel. And, and, you know, I can't discuss what we discussed that night. I feel sorry for the guy. He got himself in a position where the ownership changed uh, and what went on went on. But it, I felt sorry for him speaking to him that night. You know, he was right up against it. Mm. Uh, Again, one thing we never discuss is the politics within a football club. And it ruins an awful lot. If you get relationships that break down or you get people that can't get on, say, manager to boardroom level, things break down ever so quickly. Um, and I did feel sorry for him. He looked like a bit of a broken man. I, 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 listen, if it was open checkbook and he wanted to come, that's the guy I would employ. Mm. I think he's proven himself in the lower leagues. He's got a wonderful coach next to him in Alan Neal. Alan Neal's been a manager himself, um, but found a, a great little partnership with, with, with Chris. They work ever so well together in terms of a professional working relationship. It's superb. Um, so that, that would be the guy I would personally go for. But you, you covered it off already, Benji. He won't drop down to League One at this stage. He, for us to get him, he would have had to have dropped down to Championship and it gone wrong in the Championship. Mm. That next job would have had to have gone wrong for them. For them, for him to then cons- well, this is my take on it anyway. Yeah. For him to then consider, for him to consider League One, and for the for the exact same reason that you said, if he comes down to Charlton and it doesn't quite work, where does he go after that? Mm-hmm. Very rarely do you then get bumped back up exactly. to Championship or Premier League level. So that's why he'll try and stay as high as he can, certainly for the next job. Mm. But um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting actually because um, you know, obviously when when Lee left. You know, Thomas Sangard came out with, I'm going to have somebody in by the weekend, which which made me, alarm bells started ringing for me yeah. because I just don't see how you can do it that quick unless you've got somebody lined up. Yeah. And if you had somebody lined up, that means you've kind of guessed Lee was leaving or you, mm-hmm. you knew Lee was leaving. So something didn't quite add up there with that statement because my brain would have said 12 games to go. And I listened to Curbs last night, obviously, you know, when I was upstairs with my earphones on, and he's absolutely right. 12 games ago, you just put Johnny in charge and, and you buy yourself time till the summer. Mm. That's, that's, how, that's how logically my brain works. You buy yourself those 12 games. You sit back with whoever you trust within the building. You know, that's Jed Roddy. You, know, um, you sit down with Jed and you work out a plan moving forward. Okay, you identify who you want next and then you interview them you know, when it's appropriate to do mm-hmm. so. But, but, but I wouldn't disrupt Charlton as Charlton at the moment. They all love Johnny. Fans love Johnny. Players love Johnny. Give Johnny the job till the end of the season. And you've bought yourself a couple of months there, you know. And, and if it doesn't quite go right, the only person really that's lost out, well, Thomas will argue he's lost out because he, he is putting a lot of money into the football club, right? But Johnny loses out because mm. Johnny's, you know, put himself on offer. Mm. Yeah, and I'll go in the technical area. And if he doesn't, if Charlton weren't to make the playoffs, unfortunately for, for the reasons we've been saying earlier, everyone would go, well, Johnny can't do it. Mm. He's an assistant. You know, and, and, and that sadly is a reality of football, even though I can tell you that Johnny Jackson's probably absolutely perfectly ready to take the job. He just lacks a little bit of experience, but it's that, that horrible chicken and egg. You know, how do you get experience mm-hmm. if you don't give it a job? If you don't get a job to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but I just know, 
I just know that he'll be sat behind Lee and he's been a very good assistant. But it, it, there's always that itch you've got to scratch when you're mm. an assistant. I, c- I can do it. I just need a shot. So I'd like to think, he, you know, he should have got given that shot to the end of the season. And we'll, it still remains to see if, if, if he does or not. Yeah, but, but I, I was a little bit, well, you know, I was just a little bit taken aback that Thomas yeah. said, I've got somebody, we'll have somebody by the weekend because that's an extremely short turnaround. Extremely because short. I, as far as I'm aware, Benji, nobody knew Lee was leaving on Monday, as far as I'm aware. Mm. And that's an incredibly short turnaround to do an interview process, a short list, uh, you know, and get somebody in charge. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more because obviously, as we all have, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. And it seems to me, you know, while Charlton did finish the night yesterday in sixth place, they're still sort of on the outside looking in at the playoffs. They've played two or three games more than sort of all the teams around them. And it's still, you know, a tough task, a tall order to get into those playoff spots. So you're not actually risking that much by going with Johnny Jackson as opposed to trying to bring someone in because it's not as if you have to consolidate your spot in the top six. You're at it. You have a shot at automatic promotion. It's really a wild card as to what will happen to the rest of Charlton season. They'll need a great run in order to get a playoff spot. It's by no means impossible but it's by no means a certainty or even likely so to that that to me seems like you're risking very little by giving Johnny Jackson the job you know as you said the players like him that the, that was clear the fans obviously love him that was also clear he feels that he's ready to take on a job as a manager it's something that he's always wanted to do and he so so I, I don't think you lose much and as you said then you give yourself two and a half months to decide who the next candidate is and this decision is one of, if not the most important decision Thomas has made so far in his reign. And why not give yourself the time to really think about it properly, interview the candidates that, that, you, that you're interested in, and then make the right decision as opposed to thinking we have to get this guy in as soon as possible because we've already seen, you know, you can't recruit at the moment. Obviously, we don't have transfer yeah. windows, so it's not as if that element of management gets taken into account. Johnny Jackson knows the team. He knows the players. They like him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you there that I think the logical thing in my eyes would be to give Johnny Jackson the rest of the season, see how it does. I mean, obviously, if Charlton have a great end of the season, get promoted, then you're thinking, okay, maybe he gets the job permanently. But either way, it seems like you're risking very little. And then you give yourself a lot more time to pick the right candidate as moving forward, as opposed to jumping into something that you may not be 100% confident of. Yeah, and it, it makes you a little bit suspicious, actually, if somebody does walk in before the weekend, that something was going, and, and it kind of makes... The reason Lee left, you know, well, certainly my brain would say, well, he knew something was happening. He knew something was coming. And that's why he's left the building. That, that's how I would view that. Because, you know, for, for, you to, for you to make the phone calls you need to make, to discuss contracts with the new manager, to find the best candidate, you know. So you start off with five names. That comes down to three. That comes down to a final two. You know, that can take weeks mm-hmm. and this is going to get done in four days. So that, that would make me a little bit suspicious that Summit was already in the pipeline before Lee left. And um, yeah, yeah, if it is, that's, it's, again, you know, no criticism there. This is Thomas Sangard's football club. He spent mm-hmm. a lot of money purchasing it and he spent a lot of money. You know, he's already made some appointments that everybody applauds. Um, he's making changes behind the scenes that everybody is happy with. You know, and at the moment, he's a very, you know, hands-on owner that, that we've been praying for somebody like this for, for a long, long time. So it's not now to be critical. If he, if he wants to change the manager and he wants to, and he's already sorted that out, that's not a criticism. It's just surprising, mm. you know, that, that, it, that that's all. Because I didn't think Lee was doing that bad a job. There was still a, a chance for him, uh, you know, to, to, to get Charlton into the playoffs. And I would have said there was no benefit really of changing the manager now in March. I, I don't see the benefit to anybody of changing a manager in March. But again, not a criticism because I think um, I think we have to be thankful and remember that this guy's come in and got rid of a horrible group of people that would have would have run Charlton into the ground. So mm. you know you have to be very very thankful on one hand, whilst trying to work out what's going on on the other, but without being critical. And, and ultimately, you know, it's, it's his decisions and time will show what the right decisions and what the wrong decisions are. That's just the way football yeah. works. If you bring someone in and it ends up 
working out fantastically well either this season or next season or whenever, then, you know, you can only applaud if it doesn't work out. Then you can look back and think, okay, maybe things could have happened differently. But as you said, it's his – he owns the football club. It's his job to make these decisions. And this is really the first big one that he's had to make. And I think there's reason to be faithful that that the club and him will get it right. But I do absolutely agree with you that – the 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 idea that it could that a new person could come in before the weekend and it could all be figured out in four days seems very odd unless that unless it's been planned for quite a while and just sort of the vibe I've been getting from 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 people in the club is that no one was really expecting this news to come out you know they 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 felt that it was likely going to be Bowyer until the rest of the season so it is a little bit uh, surprising, I think, to, to a lot of people. But ultimately, you know, as you said, Thomas Sangar's decisions, and we'll, we'll have to just see what happens. Kerbish, I thought Alan Kerbishly said an interesting thing, though, last night, which was he was talking about himself coming into his job. And obviously, you weren't necessarily a regular first-team player when he, when he took, the, 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 took on the job, but you were in and around the squad and sort of was in the building. And he was saying that he felt it was a big advantage when he came in, that he already knew the players and already had those relationships. And obviously, Johnny yeah. Jackson would be the same in that he already has built up those relationships. So I just wanted to sort of hear your perspective on taking, getting an inside hire versus going outside and getting someone else. Yeah, I, I think, I, again, it, it's the timing. So if we're talking about November here, you bring in a new guy. It's as simple as that. But when you're talking about March with 11, 12 games to go and the side's just sort of found a little bit of form. I'm not saying performances have suddenly become wonderful. I don't think they have. I think it's a very, very tight and even league, actually. Mm. I think the cap this season has made it very, very um, even for a lot of sides. But it, when you're 11, 12 games to go, my, my brain and experience says continuity. There's no, there's no need to upset the apple cart here. You know, I was surprised that Johnny didn't pull maybe Jason Yule up to give him a bit of support in the, in the dugout. But, you know, I, I then found out subsequently that Jason had a game last night up at Ipswich. So, you know, that, that's the only thing I would say. Sometimes you need just, just somebody behind you that you can turn to to just discuss things. Mm. Um, um, but but yeah, my my football brain and, and, and experience in the past tell me that the reason you go for Johnny till the end of the season is purely that is that he knows everybody. He's seen that he's seen those players on the training ground every day. He knows who's been training really well. He knows who's taking their foot off the gas. He looks at players and he sees their attitudes and he thinks that's what I want. You know, and don't get me wrong, is is his outlook will be slightly different to Lee's. No one's exactly the same. No one. You know, Alan Kerbyshire could go and sit in that dugout on Saturday and he would pick a different team than Johnny. Johnny picks a different team than Lee because you like certain things in certain players and everybody likes something slightly different, right? Um, and that's what I would say to Thomas Sangard is that he's watched them train over the last however many months because it's a different side this year. Um, so he's got an inside judgment on the mentality of the players, the training mentality, the physicality, where they're at physically. Um, and a new guy has to come in and start that all over again. And I think that's what Curbs means. It's not about the understanding of the team and picking the team. You know, he can watch videos. He can watch the last five DVDs, if you want, of the last mm -hmm. five performances to catch up on that. But what he will be short of is character, heart, passion, gut. You know, players that have shown Johnny in training what they're about who you can rely on in when, the, when the going gets tough and when the situation demands. You lose to Blackpool 3-0. I'm telling you now, they sit in their office for two hours going, right, on Tuesday at Wigan, I want players that are just going to run themselves into the ground for me. And you pick the side based on that. He made seven changes and they did that. Now, Johnny's got the advantage of knowing all those things. Um, a new manager wouldn't have. You can watch, Like I said, you can watch the last five games and pick a team off the back of that but that gives you no foundation to understand what's been going on at the training ground and the characters of the players, which play a big part. Mm. You know, sometimes someone shows you something during the week and you go, I'm having him. He's on it this week. I'm going to pick him. You know, and, and, and that's why I would leave Johnny in charge till the end of the season. He's got that knowledge of the whole team mm. uh, and has done throughout the whole season. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, you know, everyone is a little bit different, but you already have those established relationships, which can only help at this time in the season. And obviously last night, John, or Tuesday night, 
Johnny Jackson came, made two changes to the team. He brought in Jake Forster, Kasky, and Andrew Shinney. I don't think they were necessarily revolutionary, uh, revolutionary decisions. I mean, Jake Forster, Kasky at this point has to play pretty much any time he's fit. And obviously, yeah. Andrew Shinney has made it pretty clear what he can offer as well. But he did take out Darren Prattley and Ben Watson, which may have raised a few eyebrows. And it, it, I do think it's, it's hard to argue that it didn't work. Forster Kasky and, and Shinny both scored. Not that that's any sort of slight on Prattley and Washington and Watson. Both have been important players this season. But Forster Kasky and Andrew Shinny worked well. And the team played with a lot of energy. What, what, what sort of stood out about the game to you? Well, if you want what stood out, what stood out was that they never gave up because at mm. 2-0, which could have been 3-0, Amos made a fantastic save low down to his right with a big, strong leg. Actually, it wasn't even an arm, it was a leg. And I thought that was a goal. I thought the guy was just going to slot it into that far corner. And I think it was 1-0 at the time when he made that save. I don't I think, think it's 2-0. So. I, think, I think the second goal came after that mm-hmm. chance. And we had the lob as well. Let's not forget the lob. I thought that was a, a brilliant piece of individual skill. Great vision from the kids. the line, sit- I think. It, well, when it sets off, it sets off about a yard inside Amos's left-hand post and goes right across the goal. Now, our view in the commentary box was right behind that, and we all thought that was nestling in the back of the net. And how it just turned late and across the goal, uh, you know, obviously made a huge difference. But, yeah, what stands out is that at 2-0 down, could have been 3, could have been 4, and we're sitting there thinking this is going to be a horrible night for Johnny, horrible mm. night for the team. They found a way to dig in and and get back into the game. And it was Shinny's goal, actually. It was mm. I, I highlighted it last night as being vitally important. He doesn't score that goal and they don't get that response that quickly. If they go down the tunnel 2-0 down, they don't win 3-2. Okay? So Shinny shifting that ball off his chest onto his left foot and then executing the perfect volley across accurately into that far corner suddenly raises a little bit of belief. We're not out of this because you, 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 you will know, every player will know on that pitch how bad Bristol Rovers' away record is, right? Now, they've stunned us with a little bit of a, um, in, in terms of their work rate and passion and commitment and closing down, I thought that first half hour was as good as I've seen from anybody down at the Valley or anybody that I've watched this year in League One. I, I, I honestly was very surprised how organised and well they shut us down and stopped us playing. Um, but I did say on commentary as well that, that they, there's no way they could have kept that up. And what I liked is once we scored, we looked a little bit braver. We started mm. going to receive the ball off the centre-halves. We tried to play through the units. And then it culminated with that ball up to Stockley that he did incredibly well to get up, cross his man, chest it down. He bought the free kick. It was a bit theatrical, but he bought it. He deserved it. And, that, and obviously the, the finish was superb from, from mm. Jake. It was a wonderful free kick. Um, and, then, and then I've got to be honest with you, the team talk's entirely different. So Johnny Jackson's team talk at half-time is entirely different than if they're 2-0 down. So he goes in, he can be really positive. Despite a poor half-hour, he can now be really positive. And I thought they were terrific second half. I, yeah. I, I must admit, I, I thought Bristol Rovers tailed off. I thought Charlton's second-half performance warranted the winner. I thought Connor Washington was outstanding, just running off the shoulder. I thought the, def- the defenders gave up following him in the end. He'd just, done, he'd, he'd just run him into the ground and they gave up even chasing him across into channels and in behind. And he did have another opportunity. It was actually Liam Miller's probably best moment of the game mm. where he slid him in down the, down the side of the centre-half. And his first touch just got caught under his feet. He could have done without another half a yard inside channel and that would have opened up the far corner. And I would have fancied him to have scored that. But yeah, I thought he was terrific. I thought Jake was terrific. There was, there was three or four really good performances, actually. And I, I wouldn't have said that after, after half hour. I thought this could be a terrible night. So they don't, for me, you asked me what the biggest thing was character, without any shadow of a doubt, character to fight back and, and not give up on that game. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what obviously stood out to me. And I think that's what people in general took from the game is just that this was a situation at 2 0 down after half an hour where you've been pummeled a little bit. You know, as you said, they had other really big chances where you could crumble, and it's easy. If you then concede the third, you might be thinking, okay, well, the game is over. And obviously, we know how important momentum is in football. We can speak about it, but we probably can't speak about it enough. And as soon as Shinny scores that, that goal, A, just the, na- the nature of the goal being such a good goal gives everyone a little bit of belief that actually, you know, we can create something out of nothing here if need be. And then also just that you've gone down two goals and then immediately got in the one goal back. It shows 
all right, from, from being two nil down and potentially yeah. potentially getting kicked out of the game, we're now probably the team that's got the momentum and pushing for the equalizer yeah. and then the, the winner. So, yeah, I think that is also sort of what stood out to me. And then, as you said, with, with Connor Washington, it was kind of what you were talking about last week where the center backs followed his first run, his second run, his third run, and then at some point they kind of just stopped following his runs. And it may have been exhaustion. It may have been just that they were tired of seeing him do that. But it was exactly what you said last week. Yeah. And, and, and interestingly you start to see a confidence in Connor, mm. right? Which might not have been there a few weeks back. And this is the thing with strikers. If you play them one week, you don't play them the next. You play them another week, they score, you leave them out the next. How do you ever get going? Just as you get going, you have to stop and start again. And, and, and I do think it is right that a squad has competition for places because if you don't have that, then people are just going to drift through games. But you've also got to have the ability to go, he is on fire at the moment. He is first on my team sheet and he, and he needs to know he's playing every week. And, and I, actually, I'm starting to see a confidence within Connor mm. Washington. He wants to be out there. He wants to be getting on the ball. He wants to be finishing. Um, you know, and if you look at the goal he scored the other week, um, he drove it low into the ground from close range. I think, I think Chucks and EK pulled it back for Shinny. Shinny had the shot, it rebounded and Connor came. If you actually look at his movement, not just at the end, but throughout that build-up, when the ball goes to Chucks, he cuts back, it goes back to Shinny. His movement is super. He goes into the goal to try and get the ball that comes across from Chucks. When he cuts back to Shinny, he, he peels out and round the back for the rebound. And then, and then that allows the space for him to come onto it and strike the ball down into the ground. And that's a striker that wants to be out there. That's mm. a striker that wants to get in positions to score goals. And I've gone to games this year sometimes and we look a little bit shot shy. You know, we look a little bit like, I'll, I'll stay out of the box because I don't want to miss a chance. And, mm. and it's good to see somebody like Connor in. He just looks really confident to me at the moment. And so he should with the, with the goals he scored in the last few games. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I mean, I, I was a striker in my day, not obviously nearly as high at a level. <laughs> I, I peaked in high school, but it is, it is crazy how sort of one week to the next, it, it, you can sort of completely change your mental, your mental picture of things. You miss a big chance and suddenly you're down in the dumps and you're feeling like everything you're doing is wrong. And then you go on a tear like Connor's gone where he scored four and three and suddenly you feel like everything you're doing is going right. Your runs have a little bit more purpose to them and obviously he's always hard working and his runs always are constant throughout the game but I did feel like I saw last night almost a little bit of an extra spark in Connor and he just he looked like they they, they really couldn't handle him throughout the game he was the one who was constantly making things happen I think he said after the game that he felt he should have had another goal and it, it's it's great to see because to push a run like Charlton need to push a run to, to potentially get in the playoffs, you obviously need to be able to defend and you need to be able to keep the other team out. But if you're not going to score goals, especially for a team that does concede quite a few yeah. goals, if you're not going to have that yeah. ability to constantly be getting yourselves back in the game with goals, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And with Chucks and Ike, they obviously have that. With Jaden Stockley, we've seen that. And now Connor Washington, we've seen that quite a lot in the last few games. And that should be something, I think, for the whole team to be excited about. Yeah, and, and Chucks is up there with his 11 or 12. You're, you're the stats man. You're much better than me. I like a stat, but I'm not up, I'm not up in your your, your, uh, your level yet. But, um, you know, Chucks is, Chucks is there. I, I just, quite the opposite with Chucks at the moment. I feel like he's a little bit frustrated. And he was really brave last night going for that ball that got the keepers sent off, which ultimately wins you the game. That, that mm. shuts out any chance of them coming back into it. But I, I look at him sometimes and, Particularly when the final whistle goes, he, he looks frustrated. He walks straight off down the tunnel and he, uh, you know, he, or, or, or walks straight over to where he knows he's going to do the running that he has to do after the game because he's not played enough minutes. And I just, you know, just he just needs to stay positive, mm. you know. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's had a good year. He scored some good goals. I think he's at the right club in terms of developing himself into a good striker. But at the moment, I just look at him and I think, you look a little bit frustrated, you know, just, just stay on it, be, stay relaxed, be confident in your own ability. You've scored enough goals this year to know that you're a, a decent goal scorer. So just, just relax and know that it's about the team at this moment in time. Everything mm -hmm. at the moment is about the team because they're, they're, you know, like you said earlier, they're still chasing. Yeah, we're in six, but we're not really in six. We've got to rely on other people to, to fail, to lose. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that means to me we're in a, a position that obviously we like to look at, but that might not be the reality when everyone's caught up with the games. So 
just stay on it because this is a, this is about the team and the team effort trying to get us into a playoff position in these last 10 or 11 games. And we need you to be, everybody mm-hmm. out there, in, in the right frame of mind. Uh, and however frustrated you are about not starting or not scoring or not adding to your tally, you know, if you're in, if you're in a negative frame of mind when you do get your start, it's hard to pick yourself up. You know? So you've got to be nice and positive so that when you get that opportunity, you're ready to go. But yeah, I, I, just, I just felt... I just felt, you know, I didn't go to the Blackpool game. I wasn't there. But, but, but by all accounts, the body language of the team was poor. Mm. You know, we, we looked defeated. We were poor. We lost. And we looked like we were never going to come back into it. You didn't get that feeling last night. Mm-hmm. As soon as the shinny goal went in, I thought, oh, OK. Particularly, you know, that second half. That was a very, very good response. Very good. And, and I guess, you know, I, I actually, now that I think about it a little bit more, I definitely agree with you in terms of Chucks because I think obviously at the weekend he missed that chance from close range and that mm-hmm. I'm sure added sort of to his overall frustration of not starting consistently. But I guess he, the response last night was a lot closer to what you want to see from him. He went yeah. for a lot of balls. He was constantly challenging. I, I, I honestly have watched it dozens of times now and I can't tell if he actually won the header for Washington's goal or if it came off the defender but either way he sort of caused it to happen by going up with the defender and then obviously for the red card it would be easy in that situation 92nd minute or whatever it is to not go for the ball you see the the keeper hurtling towards you and knowing that you've got the lead late on it would be easy to just kind of let him have it but Chucks didn't do that he made sure that he went up for it got there first and as you said that essentially ends the game um, yeah. and and you just hope that he sort of takes that and pushes on with it because he will be needed in these last however many games it is. Everybody will be needed. Prattley, Watson, you know, Jaisimi, they'll all be needed and that's why you've got to stay in the right frame of mind. You, you know, one week you're not in, that may extend to two and three weeks but the one thing that, that, that I, you know, you try and get every player to buy into is that if, if you come out and sulk, it's very, and then you don't train properly because you, you're sulking and you feel like you've been hard done by. Mm. But when you do then get into that side, you're not prepared properly to give us a nine out of ten that keeps you in the team. So you've got to stay fresh mentally when you're out. It's disappointing. We understand that. Every coach understands that. And every teammate will understand that. But the right thing to do is work even harder on the training ground. You're not going to get picked back into the side by chucking the towel in. You're going to get picked back in the side because the manager looks at you and goes, look at the response I've had off of him. Look at the way he's training this week. You know, and, and that sticks out like a sore thumb. It's too easy, I think. You know, I looked at players in the past and it's too easy to be predictable, to sulk. All right, you're out of the team. You know, what, what does it really matter? You know, having your pride being dented, get back on the training field. Do you think the manager's going to pick you because you're sulking? Because you're, you're, showing, you're showing you're frustrated. No, he knows you're frustrated. He knows you're disappointed. But what he needs to see is a reaction in training. He needs to see a reaction that you're on board. He needs to see a reaction that you actually want your teammates to go out and do well. Because ultimately that benefits all of us. You know, and, and, and what I liked about Chuck's last night. See, if you flip that round, Connor wouldn't have gone for that ball. Mm-hmm. Right? So they're, they're, they're completely different players. Connor recognises space in behind and he knows how to move a defender around. And he's quite clever with his movement and he makes the runs at the right time. Chucks is a bit more of a bulldozer. He's a bit more physical. He likes to knock people around. He likes to battle. Um, when he gets into that penalty box, you know, he likes to get his shots away. He gets, shifts it on that right foot and gets his shots away. But he, he didn't pull out of that last night because if he flicks that over the keeper and doesn't get a touch, he knows it's a goal. Mm. That's why he went for it. That's why he went for it. And um, he wasn't bothered about the pain that came if, you, if he got hit, which is, you know, that, that is in Chuck's nature. And it's good to see. But yeah, I, I just think they all need to just, just take a step back, recognise the team's on a good run. And if we can continue that good run, it benefits everybody in the team, in the squad, at the football club. Yeah, no, absolutely. And... So we're, we're, we're nearing sort of the end of our, of our time today. We've covered, I think, the main issues or the main talking points, obviously. I feel like you could talk forever about the news on Monday oh. of Bowyer and then the game, obviously. There's lots to talk about there. Um, I do have another on this week in Brownie's career for you. Last week, we discussed the 12-game winning run um, in the 1999 
2000 season. I've got an interesting one for you this week because it's not actually at Charlton. It's during your time at Reading on on this day, or not on this day, but on this week, however many years ago, you were playing Crystal Palace and you scored for Reading. Oh, yeah. And I only scored one goal for Reading. It was a free kick in a 1-0 win against Crystal Palace, yeah. And actually, I think some Charlton fans... Uh, got in touch with me about that because so, obviously the rivalry between Charlton and Crystal Palace was saying even though you've left us you've still managed to, to, to stick the knife into Crystal Palace <laughs> so yeah I only got the one goal and it was it was a decent strike it got touched to the side and I hit it low and hard beat the goalkeeper yeah but I, again Reading was a very very good club I was really fortunate Benji I left mm. what was a wonderful football club um, and, and actually I, I left with I didn't have any regrets or anything, but I thought I thought the end come too quickly at Charlton. I thought I could have at least got another year out of Charlton, stayed that season. And I think if you ask Curve, well, I don't know. It would be interesting to ask Curves actually. Um, I just wonder if you know. I think what happened, Benji. I think there were some outside influences. I think John Fortune was coming through, which is which makes a difference. You've got a younger player, you know. Um, um, but sports science was kicking in, and 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 obviously with my knee injury, and mm-hmm. I just think I think there was you know I probably didn't have great stats on the fitness side of things, but you know stats and sports science again I've just mentioned it earlier it doesn't mention experience, it doesn't cover heart, it doesn't cover passion, it doesn't cover organisation, it doesn't cover a voice in the back line. It covers how much ground I've covered. It covers mm-hmm. how quickly I sprint from A to B. But what it doesn't do, it doesn't tell you how quickly I read a situation to stop a goal because they're not interested in that. So stats are not as black and white as they make out to be. And I do think I was a victim, perhaps, of, of declining physical stats. And actually, I thought I could have been kept around the building for another year beyond when I left just to be in and around the building, to play in the reserves, to bring on kids that were in the reserve, that sort of sign. And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, it'd be interesting to see Curves' thoughts on that. Um, perhaps, but everybody has a shelf life. Every uh, Manager, player, everyone, where, where you have to move on. And I moved on and I went to another very, very good football club. I really enjoyed Reading. Not quite as much as I enjoyed Charlton, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, but, yeah, it was a good setup with good people. Good people behind the scenes. Really um, professional, uh, nice uh, members of staff, uh, uh, you know, at the stadium and at the training ground. And I, I, I did enjoy my time there. It was nice, yeah. And it was even better to score against Crystal Palace. <laughs> I was about to say, was it, was it slightly sweeter to get your one goal against Palace? Or it's, it's an, I, I don't think I scored against Palace. For, I didn't score many. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously um, you know, there's a rivalry there. It's, Millwall would be the one. If you want to score a winner against a rival, for me personally, to, to, I'd have loved to have come up with a header in, an, in the 89th minute away at the Den. That would have been brilliant. Oh, they would have hated my guts. But I would have loved it. Uh, I'd have absolutely loved it, yeah. But I, think I wasn't fortunate enough to do that either. But that's the one I would have wanted to score in. But second to that, scoring a winner against Palace is, uh, is, is up there. Very good. And thankfully, you got to do it, even if it wasn't in a Charlton shirt. So just before we wrap up, I have one more question coming from one of our listeners on Twitter. This is from Kevin Animate. And this, this, this might be a slightly unexpected question for you. He asks, who do you think would win in a fight between a Siberian tiger and a grizzly bear? Desperate to know your, to know your answer is Kevin. I'm, I've got to go grizzly bear. It's just, it's just got the, it's got a massive weight advantage, hasn't it? What's a Siberian tiger's going to jump at it? He's going to hit it with his paw. One hit with that paw, tiger's out. Grizzly bear all day long. You heard here first, folks. Grizzly Bear is the official winner, according to Brownie. I think we're just going to have to take his word for it, unfortunately. Not sure we can find proof, but I will be searching YouTube tonight to see if that exists. (laughs) Um, Anyways, thank you all so much for listening. This has been the second episode of Brownie and Benji. We really appreciate everyone listening, everyone subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review if you want if you don't want that's also okay thank you all again for listening this has been benji and brownie bringing you brownie and benji till next time take care everyone